Bakersoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Chapter 13 of Joel, A Boy of Galilee by Annie Fellows Johnston. Recording by Esther and Simonides. Chapter 13 Ruth went every day to ask for a sick friend. Sometimes with a bunch of grapes, sometimes with only a flower in her warm little hand. But there came a time when Martha met her, with eyes all swollen and red from crying, and told her they had sent to the city for a skillful physician. In the night there came a loud knocking at the door, and a call by Reuben to come quickly, that Lazarus was worse. At daybreak a messenger was sent clattering away to hurry over the Jordan in hot haste, and bring back from Perea the only one who could help them. The noise awakened Ruth, as she sat up in surprise to see her mother dressed so early. The outer door was ajar, and she heard the message that the anxious Martha bade the man deliver. Lord, he whom thou lovest is sick. He will come right away and make him well, won't he, mother? She asked anxiously. Surely, my child, answered Abigail. He loves him too well to let him suffer so. But the day wore on, and the next, still another, and he did not come. Ruth stole around like a frightened shadow because of the anxious looks on every face. Why doesn't he come? she wondered, and on many another lip was the same question. She was so quiet, no one noticed when she stole into the room where her friend lay dying. Mary knelt on one side of the bed, Martha on the other, watching the breath come slower and slower, and clinging to the unresponsive hand as if their love could draw back to life. Neither shed a tear, but seemed to watch with their souls in their eyes, for one more word, one more look of recognition. Abigail sat by the window, weeping softly. Ruth had never seen her mother cry before, and it frightened her. She glanced at her grandfather, standing by the foot of the bed. Two great tears rolled slowly down from his cheeks and dropped on his long beard. A sudden cry from Mary as she fell fainting to the floor called her attention to the bed again. Martha was silently rocking herself to and fro in an agony of grief. Still the child did not understand. Those in the room were so busy trying to bring Mary back to consciousness that no one noticed Ruth. Drawn by some impulse she could not understand, the child drew nearer and nearer. Then she laid her soft little hand on his, thinking the touch would surely make him open his eyes and smile at her again. It had often done so before. But what was it that made her start back terrified and shrink away trembling? It was not Lazarus she had touched, but the awful mystery of death. I did not know that a child could feel so deeply, said Abigail to her mother, when she found that Ruth neither ate nor played but wandered aimlessly around. I shall keep her away from the funeral. But all her care could not keep from the little one's ears the mournful music of the funeral dirge, or the wailing of the mourners who gathered to do honor to the young man whom all Bethany knew and loved. Many friends came up from Jerusalem to follow the long procession to the tomb. There was a long eulogy at the grave, but the most impressive ceremony was over at last, and the great stone had to be rolled into the opening that formed the doorway. Then the two desolate sisters went back to their lonely home and empty life, wondering how they could go on without the presence that had been such a daily benediction. The fourth day after his death, as Martha sat listlessly looking out of the green arbor with unseeing eyes, Ruth ran in with a radiant face. He's come, she cried. He's come, and so is my father. Hurry, he's waiting for you. Martha drew her veil about her and mechanically followed the eager child to the gate where Phineas met her with the same message. Oh, why did he not come sooner? She thought bitterly as she pressed on after the guide. Once outside of the village, she drew aside her veil. There stood the master, with such a look of untold sympathy on his worn face, that Martha cried out, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Thy brother shall rise again, said she. Yes, I know he shall rise again in the resurrection of the last day, she said brokenly. That brings hope for the future, but what comfort is there for the lonely years we must live without him? The tears streamed down her face again. 
Then for the first time came those words that have brought balm into thousands of broken hearts and hope into countless tear-blind eyes. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Martha looked up reverently. Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. A great peace came over her troubled spirit as she hurried to her home, where the many friends sat who had come to love with them. A number of them were from Jerusalem, and she knew that among them were some who were unfriendly to her brother's friend. So she quietly called her sister from the room. The Master is come, and calleth for thee. Those who sat there thought they were going to the grave to weep, as was the custom. So they rose also and followed at a little distance. Mary met him with the same exclamation that her sister had uttered and fell at his feet. He, seeing in her white face the marks of the deep grief she had suffered, was thrilled to the depths of his humanity by the keenest sympathy. His tears fell too at the sight of hers. Behold how he loved Lazarus, said a man to the one who stood beside him. Why did he not save him then? was the mocking answer. They say he has the power to open the eyes of the blind and even to raise the dead. Let him show it in this case. It was a curious crowd that followed him to the door of the tomb. Men who hated him for the scorching firebrands of rebuke he had thrown into their corrupt lives. Men who feared him as a dangerous teacher of false doctrines. Men who knew his good works but hesitated either to accept or to refuse. And men who loved him better than life, all waiting, wondering what he should do. Roll the stone away, he commanded. A dozen strong shoulders bent to do his bidding. Then he looked up and said in a low tone, but so distinctly that no one lost a word. Father, he said, he seemed to be speaking to someone just beside him. I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. A cold shiver of expectancy ran over those who heard. Then he cried in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! There was a dreadful pause. Some of the women clutched each other with frightened shrieks. Even strong men fell back, as out of the dark grave walked a tall figure wrapped in white graves. His face was hidden in a napkin. Loose him and let him go, said the master calmly. Phineas stepped forward and loosened the outer bands. When the napkin fell from his face, they saw he was deathly white, but in an instant a warm, healthful glow took the place of the corpse-like pallor. Not till he spoke, however, could the frightened people believe that it was Lazarus and not a ghost they saw. Never had there been such a sight since the world began. The man who had lain four days in the tomb, walking side by side by the man who had called him back to life. The streets were full of people, laughing, shouting, crying, fairly beside themselves with astonishment. Smiths left their irons to cool in the anvils. Bakers left their bread to burn in the oven. The girl at the fountain dropped her half-filled pitcher, and a woman making cakes ran to the street with the dough in her hands. Every house in the village stood empty. They one where a sick man roamed the water all unheeded, another where a baby wakened in its cradle and began to cry. Long after the reunited family had gone into their home with their nearest friends, and shut the door on their overwhelming joy, the crowd still stood outside, talking among themselves. Many who had taken part against the Master before now believed on account of what they had seen, but some still said more openly before. He is in league with the evil one, if he could not do such things. These hurried back to Jerusalem to spread the report that this dangerous man had again appeared, almost at the very gates of the great capital. That night there was a secret council of the chief priests and Pharisees. What shall we do was the anxious question. If we let him alone, all men will believe on him, and then the Romans shall come and take away both our powers and our nation. Every heart beat with the same thought, but only Caiaphas put in words. At last he dared repeat what he had only muttered to himself before. It is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and the whole nation perish not. While the streets were still full of people, Jesse crept up to Joel as they sat together in the courtyard. Don't you think it would be just as easy to cure a leper as to raise Rabbi Lazarus from the dead? Yes, indeed, answered Joel positively. I've seen it done. Oh, have you? cried the bull in delight. Then Joseph can have his father back again. He told them the story of Simon the leper and of his visit to the lonely cave. Joel's sympathies were aroused at once. 
Ever since his own cure, he had felt that he must bring every afflicted one in the wide world to the great source of healing. Just then a man stopped at the gate to ask for Phineas. Joel had learned to know him well in the weeks they had been traveling together. It was Thomas. The boy sprang up eagerly. Do you know when the master is going to leave Bethany? he asked. In the morning, answered Thomas, and right glad I am that it is to be so soon. For when we came down here, I thought it was but to die with him. He is beset on all sides by secret enemies. And will he go out by the same road that we came? It is most probable. Joel waited for, for no more information from him, but went back to Jesse to learn the way to the cave. Jesse was a little fellow, but a clean-eyed one, and was able to give Joel the few simple directions that would lead him the right way. Oh, I'm so glad you're going, he exclaimed. Shall I run and tell Joseph what you are going to do? No, do not say a word to anyone, answered Joel. I shall be back in a very short time. End of chapter 13 listening to another episode of Acre Salt Story Classic.